This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. You know, I've been on the radio now in my 28th year in the Kansas City area, my 18th year here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Our show is now syndicated in a number of cities around the country, and our list is growing each week. We're on over a dozen stations now. And I love doing this show because we talk about mindsets. We talk about attitude. We talk about how that affects us psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, nutritionally, physically on the athletic field. Today in sports, I think we are seeing more and more of an awareness of the psychological side of sports and not just in terms of performance enhancement. You know, for those of you who don't know, my, my degree is a PhD, Doctor of Philosophy in clinical psychology with a specialty in sports psychology that I got 38 years ago, 1981. I've been in practice all this time. And I work with performance enhancement types of things like building confidence and developing a positive attitude, how to concentrate under pressure, how to deal with burnout, things like that. But as a sports psychologist, I work with athletes at all levels from the professional Olympic levels down to youth sports with their personalities, their attitudes, the the personal issues they have. Today in sports, we are seeing, in my opinion, as someone who's been in this profession for almost 40 years, a number of athletes basically coming out now and admitting they have psychological problems. They're suffering from depression, which, in my opinion, is a huge problem in this country. Forget sports, just in general. They have issues with anxiety. We're seeing professional athletes admit they have panic attacks. Most famous is Kevin Love of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who a couple years ago, as the season started in November, had to get off the court because he was in terrible pain, but he didn't know what was going on, and it ended up it was a panic attack. They, they took him to the hospital, did a thorough exam on him, and figured out it was panic. And he's now become a big spokesman for mental health. There are athletes all over the place. The NFL Hall of Fame, you hear references to it now when athletes are getting inducted. Major League Baseball players are talking about their depression and the pressures they're having. This is a problem we have, not just in sports, but in society. But athletes are not immune to this. We, we see professional athletes as these almost superhuman types of people. They're physically superior to most of us. And we think they're mentally superior in many ways as well. Well, a lot of the time they're not. A lot of the time they may not be as strong as anybody else. They may be weaker psychologically. They may just be physically superior, which has gotten them to a point. We see lots of professional athletes having lots of personal problems, and it's being talked about more and more with the advent of social media 
and the changes that have happened, we're seeing these issues become more pronounced, more discussed, more talked about. So I thought it would be a great idea to have another therapist join me in the studio and talk about this. So joining me today is Emily Towner. She's a psychotherapist in the Kansas City area. She's been working for a number of years with people. She's worked with athletes. She's worked with coaches. But she works with people of, of, of all types and deals with this. And I've gotten to know Emily the last few years. She's very competent at what she does. And I thought it would be a great discussion. And also because she is a woman and she looks at it from a different perspective maybe than I do. So, Emily, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. So this whole topic, okay, the whole issue of mental health, we're seeing it being talked about in terms of guns. We're seeing it being talked about in terms of ADD, and we're seeing it being talked about in terms of relationships, and and uh, very prominent people are taking breaks from their jobs because of burnout and stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, as, as a therapist working with people out of, of all, all types, that we are seeing maybe more of an awareness today in how important mental health is, or are we just because social media talks about everything, it's just out there more? I think both, but definitely more of an awareness because of the fact that social, because there are these new outlets, social media, various types of social media, as well as um, organizations that are pushing um, this issue. There's always been a mental health issue. You know, there used to be the term, you know, we don't talk about it. Um, now it's kind of in our face. We don't have a choice. Why, why, why do you think we were so afraid to talk about it for so long? I think because people saw it as a weakness. Exactly. And even when I was in grad school, it was, oh, we don't always talk about certain topics. And that was in 2001. So that was, a, you know, not that long ago, but then again, kind of long ago. We've made quite a few milestones, but then it's also it became affiliated with the weak or people who are uneducated or lazy. It was always this other negative term first associated with it. And then it's almost like death and grief. You know, we can't help if somebody dies close to us. Well, guess what? Grief is part of a mental health process. But when someone dies, what does everybody do? They come close and all of a sudden after the service, everybody goes away. Well, you're seeing now in in a lot of sports, professional sports, they have bereavement lists or bereavement uh, time for athletes to take some time away if there's been a death or something like that, which I think Mm -hmm. is much more of an awareness. And I I know just, just personally in terms of what I do, when I started... In 1981, I moved back here from graduate school in San Diego, Mm -hmm. and I stopped at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs to interview to work as a sports psychologist in the Olympic team. My professor, Dr. Robert Knight, first set up the interview, and I met with the assistant head of sports medicine, who basically, after 15 minutes, said, listen, you don't need to stay any longer. You can go. I know you're driving back to Kansas City. Uh, we don't need any of you PhD types telling us what's wrong with our athletes. <laughs> and I was 26 years old. This guy was probably close to 50. Mm-hmm. I was being very respectful, but I wanted to tell him that he was full of it mm-hmm. because I'm like the East Germans and the Russians, in addition to the steroids, had sports psychologists working with them since the 1950s. So not only were they superior to our athletes in a variety of ways physically, but mentally as well. Well, ironically, a year later, I got hired. I moved back to Kansas City. I interviewed around town with several of the small colleges to see if they'd hire me. Mm-hmm. And the athletic director had the audacity at one of them to say to me, 
I don't believe in hocus pocus and witchcraft. Yes. And I looked at this guy and I said, thank you very much. And I walked out, out of his office and I was like, this is what I'm going to fight. And to this day, I still fight it because people still see talking to a therapist as a sign of weakness. Do you, do you agree with me on that? Yes. Over, uh, the arching theme, part of that, yeah. Yes. Why, why do you think people see, you know, if you break your arm, you go get it set and fixed. If you break your confidence, you do the mm-hmm. same thing. But people think if you go have to work on your confidence, well, there's something wrong with you. You're a weak person. Absolutely. And, you know, I've always said from the beginning in my career, sounds like a bumper sticker, but there is no physical health without mental health. And there is no mental health without physical health, meaning you've got to have that in sync and in balance. Can we make a T-shirt? Yes, that's a, that's a great, I like can make that. A, a total T-shirt. So anyway, my point is, is even in my, in my generation, it, it, we were taught, you know, crime was seen as a weakness and anything, you know, fortunately and maybe unfortunately, I grew up in a family that really emotion. we were more emotionally charged. But the flip side is I do see a lot of, you know, someone once told me in my career, a mentor to me, the disease of denial is so powerful. And that just when we hear denial, we think of addiction or at least I do or early in my career I did. But denial has to do is, oh, no, I'm not depressed. No, I'm having a bad day and things like that. Well, eventually these bad days become a a symptom of the bigger problem. And then you start getting the physical symptoms, stomach aches, panic attacks, you name it. Eventually it's going to come out. And so that's why there's no physical health without mental health. And people in their minds feel like they can have this false sense of security or control by doing certain things that are going to get rid of the mental health issue that's going on with them. So, no, I'm not going to go see somebody. I'll get over it. Or it will pass. But the reality of having to admit that there's something wrong, that's a huge step. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. The world of youth sports has grown tremendously in the last few years, and with that growth comes questions. What's the right age to let my child start playing? When should winning and losing become important? And how can the youth sports experience be fun? These questions and many more are addressed head-on in sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs' book, Just Let Him Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. Written with Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Montgomery 
and Hall of Fame swimming coach Peter Malone. Just Let Him Play tackles the issues that make youth sports increasingly difficult for parents, coaches, officials, and especially kids. Just Let Him Play explains the importance of winning and losing, success and failure, and why it's okay when not every athlete gets a trophy. For more information and to get your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, for your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and today... We're having a little bit of a different conversation. I'm joined by Emily Towner, who is a psychotherapist in the Kansas City area. I've known Emily for several years. Very competent young lady, works with all kinds of people, and has, and has worked with a lot of sports figures as well. And I respect her judgment and the things she says, and I thought it would be great to have her on and talk about mental health in general. Because we're seeing today, as I, as I started the show off talking about, the sports world is embracing psychology now more so than it used to not totally because there are still a number of teams that do not have a professional mental health person on staff whether it's a sports psychologist whether it's a psychiatrist a social worker licensed professional counselor whatever it might be there are a lot of teams that do not have that someone on staff why because there are a lot of people who see it as a sign of weakness there are a lot of coaches who don't believe in it i've dealt with that myself throughout my career and I can tell you for sure there are a lot of people who see it that if you have to go see, quote-unquote, a shrink, 
you are weak. I always like to say when you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. Mental health today is talked about all the time. It's in the news now all the time because of the issues we have in our society. But with that, athletes are not immune to this, especially professional and Olympic and collegiate athletes. They're not immune to it at all. In fact, a lot of them have a lot of serious problems because they've never really dealt with this stuff before. So, Emily, we were talking in our first segment about accepting the fact that, that mind, the mind, the mindset is an issue. Mm-hmm. How do we get people to become more desensitized to talking about mental health, talking about self-confidence, to talking about building themselves up. You know, especially with, with athletes, we see athletes as these really strong people, male or female, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But they're not any different inside than anybody else. No, it's so, their humanness. So how do, how do we get this perception to change? That's kind of the million-dollar question, right? Well, that's why you're here. The perception, I it, obviously time, but it's more of people opening up and sharing their experiences. Because if you think about it like this, human connectedness or humanness is all, in my opinion, and I guess professionally speaking as well, but it's shared on a human level. We share feelings, vulnerabilities, things like that. And there are people out there who, growing up, were told not to cry, not to show emotion, be stronger, that's weak and things like that. And breaking down that narrative that you know and that's all you know, that's a tough one. But then we have these outside influences that happen, unfortunately, mass shootings and things like that that you would think that everybody as a whole will be able to have empathy for and things like that. So part of breaking that down is saying, no, wait a second. This is happening out there. And then also looking at yourself or be, you know, kind of maybe not even at yourself as much as maybe your community, what's going on here. We had an an unfortunate incident recently with shootings. And so I think if that would, if anything, create pause for people to go, now, wait, how is this going on? Well, there was an incident here in the Kansas City area where a young lady was shot on a Friday night at an event called First Fridays where thousands of people are in the downtown Kansas City area Mm -hmm. just having a great time, and a stray bullet struck this young lady and, and killed her. It was a tragic accident. The same weekend of the El Paso and Dayton shootings. And yeah, so, three shootings in one weekend. And so how do you get people to start admitting that they're struggling? I think you have people who check in with them. It's your support system. It's things like that. But it's really what we're also competing with are people's generational things. What message have they been told about mental health? What So where does it so where from your perspective, where should all this start? I you know Talking. I think, well, it, okay. See, that's why I wanted to have you on because you're coming from a different perspective. Talking. Yes. But to me, it's talking at young ages. It's, it's talking with little kids about how they feel. Feelings are good. Yes. I see so many professional athletes mm-hmm. who are scared to say or talk to anybody outside of maybe coming and talking to me how yeah. they feel. I just had a, a, a professional NFL player I, I saw today. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're working on is expressing himself. Mm-hmm. And this this is a star player, a big time player, mm-hmm. a defensive player, and a big man. And and he said, "Doc, man, he, he, people people think it's weak if I if I tell them what I'm I'm feeling." And so that's where my perspective comes in as a therapist, going, "Help me understand where that belief system started, because why would people?" 
think he was weak or what what is he telling himself that he would be weak and i think it's i mean incredibly awesome that because he can he was come made to you fun of because he was made fun of when he was younger mm-hmm. when he said something and so then then he just went into a shell, shell and yeah. stopped because it's like if i say something i'm seen as weak so i'm not going to say anything anymore <sighs> and, and even though he's very physically superior mm-hmm. and is playing in the nfl playing on defense he yeah. still – I've said you have to learn how to express yourself. So he's been working with me in the offseason and now as, as training camp is, is winding, starting to wind down mm-hmm. on expressing himself. And, and he told me today, he says, Dr. Jacobs, i got to tell you, before I started working with you, I thought this was – I won't use the word that he used to describe it, but it was really weak. He says, mm-hmm. now I'm seeing how strong it is, how, how important it is to say how I feel, to express myself. And I got to tell you, I, I haven't felt this good before. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I think it's from talking. And then you look at really, again, everybody has their, everybody's human. And the way that we connect with other human beings is being vulnerable. And at first you hear the word, oh, no. But you have to show some sense of humanness. You have to be open to expression. You have to talk about your feelings. Otherwise, what ends up happening is it, we stuff and stuff and stuff, you're going to blow. You're gonna, it's gonna come out in anxiety, it's gonna come out in depression, addiction, anger, you name it. And like this athlete that you're speaking about who's had a history of being made fun of, or whatever the case was, criticized for speaking up, yeah, I get it. Because then bullying was not what it is, you know, or it wasn't labeled or a tattletale. Remember that, that term? I mean, you were considered a tattletale if you spoke up, or a crybaby. So times have changed in, in general, and, that sensitivity piece, and the word sensitive has a negative connotation still to it. Okay, so as, as a woman and as a uh-huh. therapist, what do you say to people when they come in with these types of issues? I first, com- I, I, I first say you're very, I mean, in my opinion, they're very brave to be on the other side, meaning the seat across from me, because who wants to come in and talk to a stranger and spill all of their, you know, stuff going I on? Said that, I said that, that's funny you say that, because yesterday I had a new, a new client, a collegiate female athlete mm-hmm. and I her mom was in there and she said can my mom leave and I said yeah and she goes I this is really hard to talk especially with her in here but I'd rather do it without her here and I said that's great okay and, and then she said I really now I realize I need to do this I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs this is the sports psychology hour this is the sports psychology hour Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 minutes to success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 minutes to success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. 
Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports, and today we're taking a little bit of a different twist with the topic because we're talking about mental health in general. And my guest today is Emily Towner. She's a psychotherapist here in the Kansas City area. I've known Emily for a number of years. She does a great job with, with her clientele and learned to respect her opinions on things. And I want to have her on to talk about just mental health in, in general today. You know, in our society, we've got these issues across the board with mental, where mental health is being addressed and talked about or needs to be addressed and talked about more. And with athletes, every day, every day there is a story 
whether it was just a, during the Little League World Series about a Little League World Series coach stealing signs from the other team, being accused of stealing signs from the other team, which to me is like, really? In a 12-year-old baseball game, you're stealing signs? Okay. To the shootings that have been going on, the, the, the terrible tragedies we've been having in our country, to all these things. But professional athletes are now starting to talk about their struggles, their struggles with mental health, their struggles with their emotions. And I thought it'd be great to have Emily on to talk about this. So, so Emily, what do we need to do and where does it start? I, it, for me, it starts with kids and, and at young ages. But where do mm-hmm. we get kids to start talking about feelings and not be scared of it? I, you know, in my book that I co-wrote with Jeff Montgomery, Kansas City Royals Hall of Famer, and Pete Malone, a USA Swimming Olympic uh, Hall of Fame swim coach, our third chapter is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun mm-hmm. because you have to learn how to deal with that, and we don't teach that enough. So from that perspective, what do we have to do from your, from your, from your direction as, as a female therapist? What do you, what do you think would, would be helpful for people? Well, female therapist, I don't know really what that means in that perspective. Because, well, you're a female and you're a therapist. Yes. So but so it's a different perspective than me as a It's a male. different perspective because, I mean, if you look at the sports aspect – I don't know if it's necessarily female, but maybe it's more of a gen. I mean, maybe more of a. I have more, I have a lot of empathy for athletes because I believe the pressure and I believe like that hard knock show. I can't watch it. I've told you that. Like it makes me sad to see these people's dreams just implode or taken away quickly. So how do you get it going from you get it at an early age and. It's going to get to a point where all schools are going to require certain trainings. And, you know, I know when I was in school, it was more of the being stranger danger or whatever that, you know, Smokey the Bear about what was it, fire or fire and then drugs and things like that. But there was Smokey no. Smokey the Bear was about forest fires. Forest fires. It's going to have to be some kind of catchy campaign type of mentality. And that's what's going to get the kids. I mean, niece and nephew are very aware of bullying and things like that and, and, and gender identity issues they're aware of already. And they're in second and fifth grade. So some of that's already starting. Mental health wise, I, I, I the idea of the embarrassment and, and the sign of weakness and feeling uncomfortable and all that, that's got to happen in the home. That's okay. not going to happen okay. in school. So, so to me, as mm-hmm. I'm listening to you talk here, two words come into my mind, self-confidence. All yes. Right. My, my definition of self-confidence is believing in yourself, believing in your skills and abilities and talents. It has nothing to do with coming in first place or last place. It's, it's did you accomplish your goals? What did you do today to accomplish your goals? And if you're a confident individual, I feel that you have learned from failure and you're not afraid to embrace it. You're not afraid to address it. and you're not, You don't like it. You don't yeah. want it. But, but you accept that it's part of the nature of what goes on. So It's a part from, of life. From a mental health standpoint yeah. then, one of the things that could be really beneficial for, for young people, I think – is – and this is what I say when I get your opinion on it. I see a lot of kids in my office, teenagers and younger, who have a confidence issue because when they were younger in their sport, they were criticized or condescended or insulted by a coach or a parent or a teammate. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were yelled at. Maybe they made fun of whatever. It may have been an isolated incident, but it's stuck in their head. And so their confidence is always shaking. Mm-hmm. And they're scared to express themselves. They're scared to say things. And that negativity always pops back into their head. So I think one of the things we should do is teach young kids to not be scared to fail, to not be scared to make a mistake. I mean, you got to try. 
you know, it's one thing if you're not trying, you don't care. That's the whole mm-hmm. thing. But if you're trying and you fail, not to be criticized or made fun of, but to be encouraged, hey, that's great that you tried. Let's see what you can do. What did you? What do you think you did incorrectly or wrong? And how are we going to make it better the next time? What do you think? But about don't that? you think? Okay, so uh, failure. You have a child whose brain is not fully developed, and whose a brain who's not fully developed, and then you have a parent that is advocating for. The ideal situation would be every time you try, that's another opportunity to accomplish whatever you are looking for. And if they don't accomplish or, like you said, set a goal and maybe they ended up, quote unquote, failing, I don't know if it's necessarily failure as much as they didn't get to where they wanted to go. So explaining to them that concept versus failure, because you're not going to get this easy road when it comes to failure. I'm sorry. I'm the outside world today. You're just not. Well, so I have I have so many coaches Mm -hmm. who will get angry at at an athlete for screwing up or making a mistake. And that's where I would say as a parent to a child that that was my child's coach is that's the coach's problem. They've got issues dealing with their own quote unquote failures or whatever the case is. So So helping the child understand that what you did was not wrong by you showing up for the game. I'll say I'll say excuse me I, I will say okay your coach yelled at you because you you struck out. Mm-hmm. Did your coach tell you or ask you what do you think you did wrong, which resulted in you striking out? Uh-huh. No. Okay. Well, let's go to your math class, and you got a couple of questions wrong. Two of the eight, two of the ten questions wrong in the test. You got an eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. So does the teacher yell at you because you got those wrong? Probably not. Mm-hmm. The teacher might sit there and say, "Well, let's figure out why you did this wrong, and let's see if we can correct it." That's called coaching. So I think that's where ment- the whole mental side of all this is, is you know, we, we have this, this stigma in our society that – and I've talked about this before, this whole mental toughness thing. You know, you got to be tough. Yeah. you got to be strong mentally. And if it, it's a sign of weakness if you don't have confidence and, mm-hmm. and you have all these – called all these derogatory names if you're not confident. Well, but you're not confident because you've been degraded and insulted for so much. Mm-hmm. So the point comes down to – the question comes down to this – from your perspective as a therapist, you're saying it starts when these kids are younger and to help them. What what do you have to do to help them overcome this? Understand their own abilities and what that means. But like I said, you're dealing with somebody who's not going to fully understand the bigger picture versus somebody of a professional, you know, a professional athlete. You know, the idea that, OK, this is what I did wrong. This is what happened. This is what was in my control. There's so many variables. In my opinion, Self-confidence is kind of a hard concept to measure because my idea of self-confidence is going to be very different than yours. As long as a child feels good about what they did, hey, I think it's a good one. I think it's a good day. But what if they don't? If How they do you don't help them overcome that? That's not where you specifically that address that child and you know that, that child at that time. If it's from the parental point of view, I, which I think a parent, I think that would be the most obvious, very influ- influential people. If a coach says the opposite to this child, I think it's a parent's responsibility to step in and, and stop that. And so along the lines with that, one of the things that I always tell athletes and parents is after the game on the way home, don't talk about the game. If the athlete wants to bring something up, that's fine. But as a parent, don't bring it up. Say, where are we going to eat? Let's go home. Let's go rest. And then maybe maybe after you've been home for a couple of hours, you can say to your son or daughter, hey, you know, do you want to talk about the game? Mm-hmm. No, Dad, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Well, you know what? If you do, I'm here. And mm-hmm. don't push it. Whereas if you get in the car and you start, okay, we need to talk about why you screwed up today. Yeah. I think all it leads to is more negativity, more frustration, and more angst. Well, it sets the kids up for failure. Period. All the criticism 
that goes on right now and all these comparisons and the competitiveness and, and even you apply it from professional all the way down. The reality is it sets everybody up for failure because we're human and we're going to fail. So let us fail, not on our own terms, but let us fail in a way that we can learn versus being pushed down our throats and told us we're a certain way. And I always tell my athletes, what I ask them this question, what record did Kobe Bryant break two years before he retired? Mm-hmm. Most missed shots in the history of the NBA, and he played two more years. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is Emily Towner, a psychotherapist in the Kansas City area who's got a great perspective on dealing with young people and helping them get through these issues. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Here's farmer and businessman James Wood. We farm about 3,500 acres. There's pipelines everywhere. The contractor working on my property did not have the lines located before he began work, and it resulted on a strike on a natural gas pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety campaign. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. 
This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810WHB in Kansas City. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports. And today's show is a little bit of a different twist because we're not talking about necessarily the mental side of sports. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about the mental side of life. And my guest is Emily Towner. She's a psychotherapist here in the Kansas City area. And it's been a a very fascinating show because we've been talking about this whole issue of psychology and and, and self-confidence and how we build kids up or maybe destroy them. So knowing what we've talked about so far, what do you think we need to do if for someone who's got some young kids, they don't have to be playing sports, just young Mm -hmm. kids right now. What do you suggest to them to help these kids be healthy psychologically and mentally in their lives and maybe be able to pick up if there's something wrong going on and do something about it? What do I suggest in what? Just Wait, in terms of yourself. if you have, you have a parent coming in, mm-hmm. wants to talk to you about their six-year-old and seven-year-old and just maybe how they're interacting with some other kids and they don't seem to be happy or confident. They seem to be down in the dumps and they're just concerned about it. What would you say to the parents to try to help them get that child work through that so that doesn't become a problem that sticks with them for a long time? I would recommend to the parents to start asking questions about when do they start feeling that way? What's going on? Did something trigger it? You kind of take a self-inventory. Um, but because children can't, the parents are there. Totally can't. They, they can't necessarily take self-inventory. They can say, you know, the term I have butterflies in my stomach. Well, a lot of times kids will complain of stomach aches. Well, really what they're complaining of is anxiety or you know, a parent will come in and say, oh, my child did so well for the first three years of their lives, and now they're completely failing out of school, and they're not going to talk to me about it, or they won't talk to me, and they're very angry. And then the, what, what parents fail to look at is they're like, well, it's something wrong with the teacher, something very, instead of talking with the child, and what they're realizing is, is guess what? The fourth year of school, elementary-wise, is harder academically. So, of course, kids are going to struggle more if they're not doing anything different at home in terms of acclimating to every change. So um, you talk with the kids and you take inventory and you find out really what's going on. And sometimes that will require to go observe the child at recess or at practice or you let your presence be known. I mean, because you are their advocate. So. The reason I ask that question is because this all has to start at a young age. Mm -hmm. And for real good psychological health, I think for people to be healthy, Mm -hmm. they need to understand as best they can or be taught or guided Mm -hmm. at younger ages about what's healthy and what isn't healthy. You know, if you have uh, a, a young child that's getting bullied in school, a lot of kids who get bullied then are scared to say anything or do anything because they don't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then the other kid will take advantage of them. And I always say, well, you don't necessarily have to deal with that kid, but you go to a teacher, you go to the counselor, yeah. go, to some, go to your parents and say something. Speak up. Yeah. I had a high school athlete who was a senior this past year mm-hmm. who got detentions because the last hour of the day, he was at a school that required clean-shaven faces. Well, his beard would grow. And so by the end of the day... The teacher would give he, the beginning of the, la, the last school year. The teacher gave him detentions like three days in a row. Said you're not shaving, and he goes. He said he told him. He said, "Sir, I've shaved in the morning uh-huh. before I left." For he goes, "Well, I don't. It doesn't look like you've shaved. So you're getting detentions." So he told his mother, uh-huh. who is is very assertive, aggressive, 
the mom came up to the school the next day, demanded a meeting with the teacher, with her son and the principal, and said, look, you know, my son has told me what's going on, and, you know, this isn't going to happen anymore because mm-hmm. he shaves every morning. How come he doesn't get a detention the first, second, third, or fourth hours? Okay, well, he has a beard that grows. He has a full beard. He could grow a beard. She, she said he could grow a full beard in four days. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I'm not going to, you know, have this happen. And so what happened was, you know, the teacher apologized. It all got worked out. But the young man, I said, well, it was good that you spoke up to, to your mom. But I said, I think you should have gone yourself to the administrators and had them dealt with you. Then if that didn't work, then you bring But your that's intimidating in. for any student. Yeah, even, even a high school athlete is a senior. So it, it's about expression. And so mm-hmm. what we're talking about here is the importance of expression, whether it's, it's verbally or physically or whatever, but it being able to express yourself in a healthy, productive way. And what, what we're seeing with a lot of people, they're scared to speak up. They're scared to say things because they're going to get bullied. They could be picked on. They could be made fun of. Or the other issue is, is maybe you have a, a, someone who generally the only emotion really that they show is anger or the quick anger. And so they're, they're criticized as being the angry kid, the angry adult. Like, don't just apply this to kids. Like, this is across the board. And so now they're teaching themselves, quote, unquote, I'm not going to be that angry person. I'm going to show you that I can have self-control. But they're still not dealing with the issue because anger is a symptom of a bigger problem. That's just an example. So kids either they overexpress, so to speak, or they underexpress. So what's the middle ground? Learning you know, making sure you have a, a, a good support system, whatever that looks like, if it's from the sports realm, family, friends, um, right, things right. like that. And out of that virtual world, like a true live person. Depression is a huge issue in our society. And I think mm-hmm. it, it, it's underdiagnosed. It's under misunderstood mm-hmm. terribly. And I, I see I see it with, you know, professional athletes that I work with who are depressed people. Yeah. Because of failures of negativity of the message, you know, sometimes let's face it, depression has a genetic component, but he also it also has a strong psychological component. Yeah. So I think what we're talking about here is the importance of expression, the importance of, of sharing and talking and identifying things at younger ages and helping. And it, rather than being ridiculed and insulted, being supported. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you predominantly today. Yes. Support. And but part of that, you know, it's it's sometimes having a friend say to you, listen, you seem a little bit off or, you know, what's going on? Because there is this piece where people do have, like I said, you're connecting on a human level and that human level starts with feelings. And there are people who are extremely, quote unquote, robotic. They won't show expression. They're hard to get to know. They're regimented. They're, you know, or maybe they've been criticized because they were the angry person or they were made fun of, like the athlete that you were talking about. So, and the hardest age is is middle school, junior high. Yeah, you can pay me enough to. That's that's <laughs> where where the the big issues come on because everybody starts to become their own person. Mm-hmm. You know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years of age, you become more independent. You become more self sufficient in many ways emotionally. And a lot of kids though start to to turn inward and get more depressed. So that's where the importance of communicating and talking. And I, I think the message we're, we're Emily that we're sharing today with everybody. You know, this show, I talk about sports psychology and all the mm-hmm. issues related. And where this whole topic relates of mental health is the importance of sharing, talking, and expressing. And being honest with yourself. And being honest. Being honest with yourself, first of all. It's like I always tell people, if you can't be honest with the person in the mirror in the morning, who can you be honest with? Yes. So I think it's important to be able to do that. And, and for parents who are listening today, encourage your kids to speak. 
talk. Well, maybe not with you, maybe with a sibling, maybe with a friend, maybe with with a relative, whoever. But but talk about things, share things. Mm-hmm. When and when you notice someone's down in the dumps and depressed, you know don't don't hover over them and and and, and attack them so much that they've got to talk. They got to talk. But try to give them an opportunity to express themselves and tell them that it's okay to do it. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, one thing is when you're talking about expression, and I I used to use this with families when I'd work with them a lot, but one way is keeping that conversation going. And it's not talking about all the negativity that happens during the day, but it's just talking about the day. And I would have the parents also participate and mean, in in a lack of a better description of the game, it's kind of called high-low. What was your favorite part of the day today and what was your least favorite part? And what that does is it starts the foundation for conversation and for a a parent or a a partner or a coach to see where everybody is mentally. It's like a mental check-in. Like for me, what was your favorite part of your day today, Andy? Talking with you because we're hopefully helping somebody out. Of course, it's it's early in the day here, but hopefully helping somebody out who's listening to this show that's going to pick something up. And what was your least favorite part of today so far? Getting up early. But that's but that's okay. Cause but that's that. okay. But there you go. That's the whole point of it. You start a conversation. You're going to see where people's heads are. You're going to see where your children's feelings are. Things like that. And then it's also showing the child or the coach is also sharing, saying, hey, I'm human too. This has been a great interview, Emily. And our time's up, unfortunately. We could talk about this forever. So if people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? What's your email address? What, what would be a great phone number people can get a hold of you? I know the phone number. But I don't know my email address. Um Area code 816-977-2840. Okay. Emily Tanner, thank you so much for being here. Psychotherapist here in the Kansas City area. Great, great topic. Great service you're doing. Well, thank you. Hopefully you'll get some calls. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm here every week from our flagship station, Sports Radio 10 WHB. You can listen to the podcast of this show here at our website, 810WHB.com. Also, my website, winnersunlimited.com. Go to the podcast page. You can follow me on Twitter at at drjsportspsych. You can also send me an email at drj at com or call me at my office at 816-561-5556. My website's Winners Unlimited. Have a great week. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from Flagship Station Sports Radio 10 WHB. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, 
Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station.